Welcome to Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures. And for the first time in a long time, we're recording this episode remotely. And the reason we're recording it remotely is that Bill is suffering from an ailment that usually only toddlers have. I have hand, foot, and mouth disease. And just be grateful that we don't do a video podcast. I thought you were actually only suffering from just like diaper rash, but uh, no, okay, that sounds a little bit more more severe. Yeah, well, do you want to hear what it feels like? Can you vocalize what it feels like? Like, is that a sound that you're going to make or are you going to describe what it is? Well, yeah, I could vocalize. There's a lot of me wincing and yowing around, but you get all these dots on your hands, inside your mouth and on your feet. And I thought someone had lit my hands and feet on fire today. So what you're telling me then is you have secret fires burning inside of you unknown, raging on, never mentioned, and only you can uncover the flames? Yes, and today we break their silence. We want to welcome back our good friend Dave Kitchen. It has been a long time. Welcome back, Dave. Thanks, great to be back. I feel like I got a bit of a promotion in my time away because this is this was my song suggestion. And it went right to the, it got immediately uh, okayed. And so I feel like, I feel like, I don't know, I'm moving up in the podcast world here. And usually we like to tell, you know, our guests what they're going to talk about. Um, we don't like a lot of creative freedom with uh, with other people. We we're pretty have a uh, an iron grasp on this podcast, but uh, we're, we're starting to loosen it a little bit. Well, a script did come to me by Purilator, right? So you okayed the song, and then right after that, I got a script in the mail, so baby steps. All right, so what are we doing here, Dave? Today is Larry Gowan, used to be Lawrence Gowan, before that it was Gowan, and his song from 1987, Moonlight Desires. The choice of this song, it, it surprises me a little bit because I figured if you're going with Gowan, you're going to go with Strange Animal. But uh, Moonlight Desires, bold choice. Uh, is there a reason or just because? It's a, well, I don't want to say guilty pleasure, not on this podcast. It's a guilt-free pleasure from my childhood. And I really like the song and it's always stayed with me. And I don't know if you ever get a chance to, to look at his videos for the other ones, there's there's an element yeah. there's a creepy element to them especially the criminal mind one which is just I don't even <laughs> know what to do with that one I mean we're going to talk later about moonlight desire video which is crazy enough but the criminal mind is just so there's always something like strangely I mean Larry Gowan is the most non-threatening Canadian I think in the world but when I was a kid there was something he had like a <laughs> sexy dangerous kind of thing going on where I didn't quite know. It was all very brooding and very, like, he, he took himself so seriously. And I think it scared me a little bit. But this song, to me, was always just so melodic and so kind of perfectly 80s Canadian pop that I, I had to do it. Every time I've listened to this song since Kitsch brought it up as something we should do, I've loved it more and more. And just now, re-listening to it, I was just kind of brought to chills. Not the chills I had when I was sick, but real <laughs> deep, 
Moonlight Chills. Yeah, the the more you listen to it, the more it grows on you. The first time when it was suggested that we we do this song and I listened to it, I'm just like, this this might be a tough slog. It might be difficult to to really get into, but the more I listen to it and the vocals, it, it does start off a little bit subtle, but once it once it you you get going into this song, it's like a freight train. There's no slowing it down, right? Yeah, well, I got to be honest. When I suggested it, in the back of my mind, there was almost like a, a a playfulness about Gowan that I thought would would work well, and and even my own memory of Gowan. I thought, yeah, I'd come to the podcast and I'd spend a bit of time riffing on it, and we will when we get to the video and stuff like that. But the song itself is, it, it, there's nothing cheesy about it, even though it's firmly embedded in the '80s. It's such a great song, and and you're right. Every time I listen to it, it, it gets better. It's way better than I, I had it in my head as, as a childhood memory. It feels like a song that suits the podcast perfectly for what we're about. I've said this about a couple other things, but this especially is just like, no, this is it. And so, I mean, with Gowan, he's firmly entrenched in the 80s. And he's just to a large degree still there. Kitch, you and I talked about this. I mean, he was um, classically trained as a teenager in piano you can you can sense that right at the beginning of the song right it's it's written on a piano he it has those melodies that are just incredible and deep they they brought a piano to Tetawikan when they where they filmed the video so it must be pa- piano heavy they brought a grand piano all the way to Mexico so a bit of history about Gowan Frank could you tell us where Lawrence Gowan was born Lawrence Gowan, and uh, to my surprise, was uh, born in Scotland, actually. Uh, Moved to Canada as a younger man than he is now, I'm guessing. When did he move to Canada? (laughs) I must have been in his... He's got a strong enough Canadian accent that I would would think he's probably a younger kid when he moved over. But they moved to the most Scottish-sounding city they could find, Scarborough. Like, who needs Nova Scotia? We got Scarborough. And Nova Scotia would have made a lot of sense, too. I mean, it literally means New Scotland, but yeah. Much we could say about Gowan. He's he's kind of a Canadian icon, especially in the the music video scene of the um, 80s for much music, right? Kitch, where are the big videos there? Uh, Oh, yeah. Well, he's got... So there's this one, but the album before had Strange Animal and Criminal Mind. So his first album had kind of not not a whole lot of popular appeal, but the, the second album for sure with those two songs put him on the map. And uh, but but yeah, and the videos are incredible. The the Criminal Mind video is kind of half cartoon comic book and then half where he plays the role. And it's funny because I hadn't seen that video and but it's one of those things that you remember seeing it when you were a kid. The director of the video is well known in in Canada for his stuff, but with with Larry Gowan, he doubled down so hard on the '80s, like he is firmly in that decade. And we can talk about that because he, then he ends up with sticks later. And yeah, it never really leaves it, you know. But uh, but yeah, it's something else. The Criminal Mind video predates the Aha's Take on Me, so this is, I think, it might have been the first video that does this wow. comic book thing. So cutting edge. I mean, but. Shockingly, right. only can- Canadians seem to know about Gowan then. It never really broke into the States. So to our American listeners, you're welcome. This is going to be a treat.
he did so poorly in, in the States that Columbia dropped him after the third record. So this was his third, the one with, with, um, Moonlight Desires on it. So, um, so anything that came after this, 1990, he had his Lost Brotherhood album and it was, it was on a different label because Columbia gave him three and dumped a ton of money into his videos because the, the one with the cartoon must have been expensive. And then this one shot in, um, the Aztec ruins of Mexico. Yeah. And owls aren't cheap. Well, especially when they turn in to the moon, you know? So, uh, (laughs) well, we'll, we'll get deeper into the video, I'm sure, but. (laughs) Okay. So here we go. Uh, let's work through the song. I mean, I want to dive right in. I, that opener is so incredible to me to remember that there used to be songs where you could take your time to get into it. And then, you know, it opens with that, the, the keys, it's moving. And then that, the drum beat comes in and the hook of the whole tune comes in and then you're, you're in it, right? You're, you're brought into this world. Yeah, and then he he jumps in with the lyrics, and like I said earlier, it's it's a it's a slow burn into the lyrics. Like it's it doesn't like hit you right off the right off the hop, but they build and build and build, and and it's not just at the chorus. It's the first verse comes, and then when um, the line "You stir my soul," then you can really feel it start to pick up. Oh yeah, and it leads right into that awesome, uh, awesome chorus. That first verse has all these sort of—they're like word pictures or just power words. I feel I don't know if I'd call them word pictures, but you've got ways to take hold of my thoughts, overriding my senses, lock your sights dead in line with my heart, share your powers. You stir my soul and wet my hunger, and weave that spell that pulls me under. I mean, it really does kind of feel like double, double toil and trouble by the end to me. That's actually just reading it out loud. I suddenly realized what he's doing. Like, whoa, I am being put under a spell here. Yeah, especially that you stir my soul and wet my hunger. It, it, it the, the tempo starts to pull you in a little bit, and it's, it's like the, the, the chorus is fantastic. Like, just the, the melody of the chorus is, is so good. But those four lines that lead you into it. And and wet my hunger that yeah W H <laughs> the rarely yes. used wet you know yeah yeah the honing of the hunger you know I, I always think of like Shylock sharpening his blade in the yeah. court scene in Merchant of Venice you know when he's wetting his blade but uh, but yeah like kind of interesting lyrics but also lyrics that don't really say anything you know like the desire is the key thing that that's happening but it's um you you read it and you can't really pin anything down you know there's i think maybe 10 or 12 lines of of lyrics there before it hits the the chorus and all those things you described they're all great kind of line by line things but it never really builds into anything specific but probably just perfect for the kind of song that it is right because just just like a love song in the end you got ways to take 
Well, so many of those 80s tunes would have these verses where you'd be sitting there like, oh, I don't, I don't, what are they saying? Oh, there it is. There's the chorus. And then you just sing the chorus. And then the verses would come on and you'd kind of mumble, jump to the chorus. That, when I was a kid, I just always, I was wondered about it. I could never figure out what the lyrics were to anything. Well, it reminds me of the song we did about heart where it was, I felt the heart song had a lot of the same kind of lyrics, right? And then, and then. Your theory was it was about wolves, and this song has theory has has lyrics that are like that, and there's a lot of owl imagery in the video. So, you know, I don't know, <laughs> these '80s lyrics all lead to animals at some point. Well, there's a there's an article that I read that uh, says the lyrics explore the power of erotic attraction and ongoing bond between two people in a relationship. Which really does come out in the uh, in the video as well, because owls are the most erotic bird that I can think of. It is certainly this sort of notion of the spirit world coming forth, animals speaking, and definitely werewolves, for sure. Well, yeah. If the video was a t-shirt, it would be the shirt that Zach Galifianakis wore in The Hangover. That- yeah. <laughs> now, because um, he was, um, the producer of it was... Um, Dave Tickle, right? And he he was doing the Legend soundtrack, yeah. correct? So how much of that yeah. sort of uh, fantasy imagery do you think was was crossover, right? Because there's a lot That's of... That's a good point. A lot of sort of this fantastical lyrics and really flowy and, and flowery sort of stuff. But it's... Um, yeah, how much of that was influenced maybe by uh, Legend, which also had uh, John Anderson, right? It certainly feels like this it wouldn't be out of place in movies like that. I feel the next verse works is more memorable to me, or work, I can understand it better because you got that, you know, with the chorus which we we've discussed, and it ends with those lines: "You're sending, you're sending." Now, is it you're sending the the moonlight desires, or? is his lover sending him the secret fires because he goes, you're sending, you're sending. And he jumps right into the second verse, which is secret fires. So kind of a, a bit of a play there. Yeah, I thought this was the verse about hand, foot, and mouth disease. It is, yeah. This is why mm. I really want to look closely at this one. Yeah. <laughs> secret fires burning inside me, unknown, raging on, never mentioned. Only you can uncover the flames break their silence and when he says that then it comes into the the music really picks up yeah yeah or at least the way he sings it and make them dance for us to see them and break their chains and give them freedom and there's suddenly this imagery of a loosed animal in a good way or you know is, is out there or your your spirit is free like a strange animal yeah exactly well he does like the animal stuff Back to what I was saying about the sending thing. It, it goes back to the chorus, and he sa- they say, you're sending, you're sending. And then it goes into that line, a wave over my mind. So I think it's purposely 
that you're sending is it is is it moonlight desires but then it just says a wave over my mind and i fall to it blind and then you say trust me Did you find that scary that part well yeah because the it's kind of like is is that what what the bridge is in the song yeah it moves never really know what the bridge is but it's that, neither that do we one little section it's it's been a year and we're still trying to discover what a bridge is well if we were to like map this out geographically that would be a, a bridge or a short bridge like a, a footpath over a little creek Mm-hmm. And then they're going to give John Anderson the, the bridge bridge, like the big bridge, where you'd yeah. have to have better supports on it. But this would be one of those little bridges that you'd see in the forest. Yeah. When you're running from a, or running after a deer. We've got to work all the animal imagery yeah, into yeah. this that we can. But yeah, and then there's the, because um, it gets it gets a little gritty, because then the, the little tiny guitar solo comes in in that spot. Too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's that sort of drum thing where it jumps to stir my soul, which is big for me. I love the sounds. And then he goes back to the wedding as hunger and weaving the spell. And then this is where John Anderson comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I got to go to my phone. I've I made a point of writing this down. The Anderson Bridge might be the most sublime musical moment of this podcast. Discuss. That's a good call. It really does add uh, an, another layer to this song, which is already great. But it's um, I, I listened to a video uh, where it was sponsored by a radio station. And it was called Behind the Vinyl or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about it. And it was just accidental. He was recording the, the album. Um I think in England and John Anderson happened to be walking by and heard the song and just offered to throw this bit in. And at first I just, when I heard, when I saw the video, I I was thinking that it was just like backing vocals, but there's a whole other melody thing going on there. Hmm. He brings in all these harmonies in, in the back and it really is transcendent. All I gotta say is the John Anderson vocals from here on in are all weaved in, like weaving a spell, and it's pulling me under the influence of this incredible song. It, it, his vocals yeah. match yeah, the yeah. lyrics. It, it creates that sort of picture, um, music picture, if you will, to the uh, to to the song, right? But you often hear about um, artists who are recording albums, and then there's another artist at the same studio just walking by and saying, like, "Hey." Mind if I jump in on this? Like, how often does that happen? And how often do you think that might be uh, manufactured by producers or, or uh, record execs or something like that? Because remember when we did the uh, uh, Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton episode, they were talking about like Kenny Rogers was singing uh, Islands in the Stream and he's not liking it. Just like, you know who we need is Dolly Parton. And she just happens to be in the studio right now. Like, 
Like, how often is that like organic versus manufactured? I wonder. But regardless, it, it's an awesome story. Anytime that it happens, in my mind. Well, I think uh, when when Pink Floyd recorded "Have a Cigar," it was R- Ry Cooter was in the studio and he sang it because it's not it's not the typical Pink Floyd. So I think like it, when you're in the biz and there's just that kind of stuff going on, mm-hmm. then uh, I think there is some overlap, and then people just get creative and start fooling around and stuff like and that. And that's pretty much how the Traveling Wilburys uh, formed as well, right? They were just kind of all in the same studio and. They needed to borrow a guitar, and it it all they just end up driving to each other's houses. It got really like it was just that. But in this case, because Anderson was working on the Legend soundtrack, and Tickle was producing both, that's how like this sort of blended. This is how it happened, I guess. They just, I mean, he was playing Strange Animal on his. The producer was playing Strange Animal to test out a speaker while John Anderson was in a room. And he said, oh, I like that song. Who sings that? And then this is where he's he heard Moonlight Desires, and then they they ended up meeting up and all that. But it's turns out John Anderson's a really nice guy, too. And so is Lawrence Gowan. Not that that matters for how great the song is, but he's uh, he's a good dude. I think I think it's important to know that people are good dudes. These 80s songs or a lot of these pop songs, once you get past this bridge, we still have like a minute and 15 seconds of Moonlight Desires back and forth. And it's like, bring it home and bring it home again and again, because the best part of the song, I mean, the the part that's so memorable of the song is what gets repeated over and over again. And it works. It's so mesmerizing. It does feel like they could have shaved 30 seconds off. And it still would have been okay. I played it for my boys today, and my one son said that it was a really long song. And I think it's partly because it, you don't hear too many songs that are over four minutes anymore. I don't even know if you hear songs that are longer than two and a half minutes anymore. So this is uh, four minutes, 13 seconds. And yeah, I've noticed a lot of our songs are around this four minute, 13 second mark. It's kind of a sweet spot in the 80s for a short mm. song. But... Yeah, it's amazing the songs that are like five minutes long that we've done before. And like, wow, this is long. Easy Lover is like five minutes long. Well, how long was the, um, I Would Do Anything for Love? Like, there's a 12-minute version of that. Yeah, incredible. Yes. (laughs) Perfect version. He'll do anything for love, but stop singing that song. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What's your favorite part of the song? What 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 part wins the song? The the bridge, the do-do-do's, the John Anderson part there. Yeah, I would have said the same thing, but when you were talking about the how the with the weaving of the spell and all that stuff, it's it's those four lines that lead up to the chorus. It's the stir, stir my soul and wet my hunger and weave that spell that pulls me under. There's like a something that happens with the tempo where it just kind of sucks you into the the chorus that that follows, and it's just that's the moment where yeah. the 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 tempo of the song picks up and it's I'm I'm hooked right after that. Yeah, that's the part that really draws you in and, and brings you into the song. I, it was it was a close close second, I would say, for for myself as well. Yeah, I 
does the music video enhance the song? Absolutely. It, of course it does. It puts it right in its, I don't know, is genre the right word? I don't know, it's time and space. It's like, it's so perfect. If you were to say what, like, if you were, if you had to pick one video from the 80s, so it reminds me there's a Duran Duran song that was, I think, was filmed in, well, I think it was like maybe Rio or whatever. Her name her name is Rio. Yeah. And there's there, there just seemed to be a lot of South American, Central American imagery in the 80s too, for some reason, whatever it was. Maybe because I was watching a lot of Indiana Jones and stuff, <laughs> you know, but it's just, it's so perfect for what it is. And I, I, I may have played it for a couple of my grade 12 students last week. And played the video and, and is like, just to try and communicate to that generation that this is what I, we grew up with. Yeah. Like, you know, so when, when they attack us or whatever, it's like, this is the art that fed us. It's, you know, and if you get in, if you go back to the criminal mind video, the, the triangular shoulder pads are so big in that video that they put Prince to shame. <laughs> and so gallon for whatever he's doing he's making great music but he is completely buying into the 80s from top to bottom it, like his, his his baggy shirt the um the 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 video being just the excess no wonder why columbia dropped them they probably spent two hundred thousand dollars on this video to send a guy with a grand piano into the aztec ruins of mexico it's insane it's uh because they're at uh teotihuacan and I should know this because I went to Teotihuacan in like 2005 and my friend who took me there, yeah, for Jay's wedding and he's a scholar of, of like Mexican history. So it's uh, so I've been texting with him about this today. And I mean, there is this sort of like, I don't know the word is, but I wanted to call it like pop rock imperialism where it's like, hey, we're going to come into your temple. And we're going to we're going to mix as many metaphors as we can. I don't recall seeing a lot of owl imagery when I was down there, but like, yeah, we're gonna put an owl in there, and we're gonna take a guy from a prog rock band and put like face paint on him and pretend he's a like a which is probably as far as far away from like Aztec culture as you can get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is like a famous site. It was like apparently built by like mayans or, or a group we don't oh, know okay. before the aztecs even got there and then it's just it's just this well uh preserved place but there was like human sacrifice there's all this other stuff that went on but now we have gowan doing his dance on top of it where it's like wow this is really yeah it could be seen as insulting for people who are uh did uh did jay have a take on the video or no he just it was more of a shake his head. I said, I can't believe yes. John, because he's a big Yes fan. I can't believe John Anderson is dressed up like that. It's just this sort of like, <laughs> wow, this is crazy. I, I can't believe that John Anderson made the, the, the trek. Like to bring him in, to be in 10 seconds of this video where he hardly contributes in any way. And then to make him this weird stock character in the back. It just seems like his his own ego would prevent it from happening. Well, because you have a Temple of the Sun and Temple of the Moon. There's like two, and they're they're on each one of them. So this is what Gowan was saying in that behind the vinyl thing. But you can't tell because they don't ever feature them too closely together and you you can't really see it. So it seems like they clearly only had, they only had a day to do it. They paid off the guards. So the story goes, they paid the guards off 
And so they filmed all through the night until it became morning. And that's, and then they kind of spliced it together. But the problem I have with the story is it sounds like they said, hey, here's some money. Could you look the other way because everyone's gone home? And they said, okay, but you better be quick. And they said, okay, no problem. Hey, wheel over that grand piano up the stairs. Yeah, thanks. And hey, there's a helicopter that's going to come up and film this whole thing because there's no drones. So all those shots are a helicopter moving around the ruins. So you'd think the authorities there, like, uh, that that helicopter's getting kind of close, right? So yeah, there's some issues I have with the story. I don't, I don't, Gowan's certainly not a liar, but uh, I think they had a lot of prep that went into this. The one thing that, that makes me wonder if they did get kicked out is there are a lot of shots of Gowan that are clearly zoom shots from very far away where, where he's dancing on yeah. the, the, the ruins. And you can tell that the camera is either at the temple across the way or at the bottom looking up at him or something like that. And uh, so you wonder if they were scrambling a little bit just to make some of the shots work. Well, they kept telling him that he's going to know what a Mexican jail feels like if he didn't get out of there quickly. That's what he, and he's laughing about it. Do we have time to dedicate half an hour to like Gowan's haircut in this video? <laughs> oh my goodness. No sideburns. No sideburns. <laughs> That's your takeaway? He's got the hairs up. Well, I noticed that. And then he's got like, it's not, it's like a, it's not a rat tail. But it's not like a regular mullet. It's been stylized, so it's kind of narrow. But it's not narrow, narrow. So it's kind of like a fat tie. It's it's like a it's like a rat tail on steroids. It's like a like a flock of seagulls with a rat. It, like because yeah, it's like a trim mullet. His dance moves are incredible too to me. Like that's an '80s way of dancing that includes a little snap and move of the fingers. And I was trying to copy it outside hopefully the neighbors aren't watching but he led with the left hand which is pretty tough if you're not left-handed to kind of snap with your left first and then move and it helps to have a flowing silky shirt like he's got the pirate shirt oh that billowy blue shirt yeah oh my goodness what a what if i was in the 80s or if i was honest that's like to me still the ultimate look is that puffy blue shirt it's like oh my goodness I mean, you, you, you rock that at a wedding dance floor and people stop and look. Well, so the director of this video directed Don't Walk Past by Blue Peter, another Canadian 80s band. And at the end of that video is a dance, you call it a solo, I guess, when it's just one person dancing. Yeah. And it's the guy and he's, he's doing that kind of dance, like kind of the, the snap and clap kind of and shimmying 80s dance. But it goes on for 45 seconds. And it's clearly meant to be the centerpiece, right? You look at it now and it just seems ridiculous. But there's a lot of similarities between what happened in that video. And that was from 1983. And then this video in 1987. It's strange to kind of look back on it because the the grunge movement is four years away when, when this video is made. Yeah, and this is a like an entire generation of singers. You get the sense that, and and kind of to tap into some of the other artists that this music video producer or director has done. He did uh, uh, Platinum Blonde, yeah. right? And you look at like Gowan, Platinum Blonde, or even you know all the hair metal bands of the late '80s. They have no idea the crash that's about to come. Yeah, right. Just the fatigue that's about to set in, and everybody's on the edge of it. And by 1987, it's starting to happen. But Gowan is fully in, all the way. 
And he's 31 years old at the time, right? He's born in 56. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for him too to make some sort of pivot too is, I think once you're you're kind of in, you're in your 30s, kids are coming, you got to bring income home. It's like, all right, you know what? Double down and <laughs> let what be what what's going to be. Don't worry, Gowan, you'll be back. And give it a 12 years and you'll be leading a big prog rock band. Well, that's it. He didn't. He didn't even just double down. Because once that dried up, then he tripled down just by going with sticks yeah. and then just staying in the 80s forever. Yeah. And look at us. Here we are in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, should we jump to some categories? Yeah. At what point of a wedding would you play this song? It's not a banger enough to be a dance floor like dance floor song. I think it, I think it gets played during the dinner. Like between the speeches or something. That's just me. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's weird. It's weirdly tempoed. It's it's it, it can't be the song, but and you know I don't. Well, there's also everything's so overt at a wedding, and this is all about kind of hidden feelings and yeah. desires burning under the surface and stuff like that. So it's maybe too subtle for a wedding. I th- I think you play it after the bride and groom have left and the leftover people are still there and you put it on and there are people with their moonlight desires, sad and lonely people just watching each other on the dance oh, floor. Oh, that's a good call. Oh, yeah. good call. Yeah. That's a very good call. So if I'm a DJ, I'm throwing that on while, while people are kind of cleaning up and there's people left over, this song, this is the one. All right. Um, should Michael Bolton sing this? Could or should? It's should. usually I know he could. <laughs> he could. I know I changed up. <laughs> Which me, le- leads me to believe that you don't think he should sing this. I think that he should. I think it would almost be like a villain could try to force Michael Bolton to sing it, but it would destroy Michael Bolton because I think he'd just go too far and it would be like a way of trapping Michael Bolton. Because it's too subtle? Is that it? <laughs> I just think he, he'd want to be doing all the John Anderson parts and then he'd just start going and by the end it's he's exploded. He'd be trapped in that Aztec calendar. Yeah. <laughs> trying, to, trying to claw his way up. Yeah. Should we talk about mixtapes? I have a mixtape, but I always go first. So I'm going to let you guys go first on your mixtapes here. Dave Kitchen, did you think of a mixtape or song universe? I feel like this is like... Apex Mountain in the rewatchables where nobody quite understands what's what's the difference between song universe and mixtape. Well, they're 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 very similar because they can cross over, but a song universe means this song could be placed within a world where these other songs exist and so same they're almost either part of the same narrative. Yep. Yeah, same theme okay. or the same story or they're part of each other. So that right. they, they this could be part of the exact same thing the other song is talking about. Okay, then I have one, and I actually have to give credit to my daughter because I played this song for her yesterday, and in the minute it came on, she's like, "Oh, it's like this song, and it's Hungry Eyes." Oh, good. Okay, yeah, it's got the kind of the the, the under the surface stuff going on. That's a good. That's you good. Know. I was thinking you could have. Um, these dreams you brought that up earlier by heart mm-hmm. yep. so this is this is mostly universe like it's the same type of deal they're, 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 these moonlight desires are kind of similar to these dreams also sunglasses at night 
like Corey Hart has the same type of thing. There's something yeah. going on in the evening. So there's something dark there too. Yeah. But mysterious. Corey Hart's got definitely more of a darker, angrier edge to it. But I feel it's within that universe. And you keep it Canadiana there too. And the owl can't claw your eyes out. Yes. <laughs> I also had GFP, the the guilt-free pleasure verse, as if songs that we've done before mm-hmm. that would kind of complement this, which I included heart and take my breath away would be part of the pleasure verse that goes with this. Okay, Frank. So my uh, my mixtape is uh, Canadian eighties music, but not like the not the big banger songs. I mean, some of them you know could be considered that, but uh, yeah. So Canadian eighties songs, "My Girl" by Chilliwack. Does anyone else know that one? It starts no, off. I don't think I do. It's it you'd know it if 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 you heard heard it because it starts off gone 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 should be gone so long should be oh yeah oh yeah. yeah 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 trooper we're here for a good time not a long time daddy don't know by Toronto the kid is hot tonight by lover boy oh boy love is Atlanta Miles and then close it off with uh, someday glass tiger. Oh yeah. yes, that's that's a good that's a good compilation to sell at uh, Sam the Record Man. I think so, right on Young Street. What about um, Heaven? But to keep the Canadian thing going, Brian Adams Heaven. No, I didn't put that in there. No, no, <laughs> does not belong. Yes, that would be a good song too, actually, for it. I feel it's of the same quality. I think Moonlight yeah. Desires is so excellent. I mean, Heaven is a great song, of course, but I feel Moonlight Desires should have seen more of the light of day in uh, in this world in which we live in. Well, in the pleasure verse, it, it, it sees it sees the light of day a lot more. A lot of dark corners in that pleasure verse. So it's <laughs> nice when, when something sees the light of day. Um, so I, I don't know if this is a, a category that you guys do, but I... But I came across something accidentally. I put the song on on my Spotify just using my Google Home speaker. So this is these are songs that followed. So this category would be what what does the Google algorithm give you after you play that this song? And it's a weird mix. Sloan, rest of my life. Ooh. Oh, oh, right. Okay, uh, brother down. By um, Sam Roberts. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that the name of the song? Brother yeah. Now? Yep. yeah. 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 And then these two made a bit more sense. Um, Grapes of Wrath, You May Be Right. Yep. And then um, I didn't know this band, but I've heard the song before called Dream Come True by Frozen Ghost. Oh, okay. yeah. That so came up on like, my algorithm too. Yeah. The algorithm. So those are some songs that came on after I played this on Spotify. My algorithm gave me parachute clubs rise up. Mm. So I don't know. It's, uh, oh but, man. Yeah. You're getting dangerously close to Luba territory. <laughs> yes. So I think that if, if we're going to talk about Hallmark movies, this would definitely be a yep. Hallmark after dark movie. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, possibly a werewolf movie, but there's lots of options here. Yeah. Werewolves, Draculas. Couldn't be featured. Owls. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it's definitely not like a... It's a song that can't really see the light of day. No, because it's moonlight. So it doesn't see it any day. It's at night. It has to be a Halloween Hallmark movie where she's coming back to her like ghost town. Yes. It's like a Brigadoon. And there's two there's two guys she could go for, and this is the one that's like the bad guy. Mm. You know, like the, the two suitor convention, like like an Austin book. Right, right. So Heaven will go for the good guy. That's right, yeah. And and this this one's for the bad boy. Right, okay. Yeah. All right, that's a good plot. Okay. Who else could sing this song? Other than Michael Bolton? Yeah, I was trying to think of it. I, I had somebody, but it was somebody... The reason I was thinking of it, I think, is because Dave Kitchen planted it in my head. And it's his lookalike. Or his spiritual cousin. Who's that? Kitch. Gord Downey. Yeah. Okay. So, there's striking resemblance between Lawrence Gowan... Sorry, Larry Gowan. And... Road Apples era, Gord Downey. Okay. There's, a, there's, there's very similar stuff, and there's, there's like a similar thing going on with them as well. Just kind of like, like Bill pointed out, they both didn't do well south of the border. I mean, the hip have a bit of a following there, but not the way they do in Canada. Mm-hmm. And there's something about, like, for me, the stumbling block on Gord Downey is he's trying for something that I can't quite see. But he's trying so hard to do whatever it is, right? It's like esoteric Canadian rock where he's he's you know, and and Gowan's trying very hard for something in the eighties here. So so Downey's got that like bar stool philosophy kind of guy. You know, when you go to a hip concert and you take the go train home, you know, yep. he's going after those guys on the go train. Yeah. If yeah. you've ever taken a go train after a hip concert, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And then Gowan's got this 80s thing going on. So they're like two Canadian acts that, that have these limitations that they seem to put on themselves where they, they're trapped in in their own thing. And uh, so, yeah, but but I was I, there were, I saw a couple of pictures of Gowan where it really st- jumped out at me that he looks like Gord Downey. We'll post that on our Instagram. But he seems like a good, like, I know I brought up the fact that he's in sticks and he's stuck in the 80s, but, like, he's a guy who found his thing. And yeah. and then they've taken on his song, so they play Criminal Mind. Yeah. Because that's how they found that He opened for them when they were playing Montreal. Mm-hmm. And I guess there was, a, like, I don't quite know the story of sticks all that well. I just know there was a ton of animosity with the, and they basically turfed the, the old singer. Yeah. And so... So I guess he was on the out. So they brought Gowan in to to play because they heard him open. Like it was one of those opening things, and and then and so I watched an interview with the guy from Sticks, and it was bad. Like he is clearly not over the riff. You know, on the flip side, Gowan just seems to kind of nestled in, and and he's doing his thing, and now he gets to play his one song too. Which now when he plays it, because I heard a live version of it, and the crowd went nuts when he started to play it. So the Sticks yeah. fans have taking it on as their own song now right mm-hmm. and so i think this is good for him it's a good move he's got family he's able to live comfortably and you know like he wouldn't have been able to be a grunge guy because he's a classically trained piano guy it's yeah. not wasn't it his uh all the lovers in the world's a 
was a good tune. He had some good tunes still, but it just became a thing where he's he's by the time the grunge thing's happening, he's in his late thirties. It's yeah. like you know what, rock star world. That's okay. Yeah. Let the you know let Moist have their time. And I think Gowan <laughs> will do just fine. You know, like that's fine. They and he and he has like he's been able to he's still tour. I mean, if if we if I knew he was coming to Radiant Center, I'd go see him. Like that'd be a great show. Oh, totally. Dave, we uh, thanks for being here for the sixth time, and I will be seeing much more of you, I'm sure. Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for taking my song. It's great. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll let you know if you're allowed to pick another one, depending on how well this one does. I gotta hope there's a lot of closeted Canadian '80s fans out yeah. there waiting for this <laughs> song. <laughs> and we're releasing this close to Canada Day, so happy Canada Day! And to all our friends around the world, give uh, Lawrence Gowan a listen. And when you look outside, and if you happen to see that orb in the sky at night, is that what they call it, an orb? I think they call it the moon. You happen to look outside and you see that moon, just know that it has a gravitational pull. And that pull is those desires. They're going to haunt you. They want you. They're sending. They're sending a wave over my mind. 